You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Hey, we're in the second week of a brand new series called At The Table. Turn to your neighbor and say, at the table. Message today we're preaching on is called the seat at the head of the table. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack different seats that people have at the different parts of our table and the roles and responsibilities that come with that. Next week, we've got Pastor Sarah preaching and then Pastor Lisandre. So you're in for an absolute treat this series. Now I want to read really quick from the Bible. Who loves the Bible in the 12 p.m.? From Luke 22, verse 14, says this. It's the Last Supper coming up on screens. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Last verse, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. There's this last supper moment where Jesus has his disciples, the apostles, around the table. And we're going to unpack today a role that each of us should have in our world of putting somebody at the seat at the head of the table. Wonder for a moment, have you ever had a time where you've sat in somebody else's seat and it's caused so much drama? Now, growing up, every Sunday, I would go to my Auntie Mary's house. Every Sunday from 12 p.m. right through to 6, my brother and I would hang out with my great-aunt Mary, my great-aunt Lily, my gran. It was like basically the grands and the boys. You know, my parents basically wanted rid of us for a Sunday afternoon. So here we were every week hanging out with the grands, and it was awesome. It was fun. In fact, they were so awesome that me as a nine-year-old boy, whatever I asked for for dinner, my Aunt Mary would pretty much make. She was awesome. One week I said to her, I'd love to have mashed potatoes. She's like, easy, no problem. And I said, but I only want mashed potatoes, and I want to put ketchup in my mashed potatoes. Now, it sounds like a good idea when you're nine years old and you have ketchup with everything. The moment I took that first taste of the mashed potatoes and ketchup was probably the worst moment of my life. As I look at my Aunt Mary and she says, well, you asked for it. If you want to go outside and play, you've got to eat all your dinner. And at Aunt Mary's house, we all had different seats. Auntie Lily would have the prime seat, the position of power and all authority by the fireplace. She was the closest. She got the best heat and the best view of the TV. That was Aunt Lily's seat. And then next was my granny. She had a seat right in the middle. Then my Aunt Mary. They were around the fire. And then my brother and I were pretty much relegated to the table with the worst view of the TV, where we literally have to look at it like this behind us. That was how awkward it was. 
and we'd be cold, shut away in the corner, country house, fire was on, we'd be cold in the corner, right? And I remember one time, I came in as we all entered the house, you know, doing the greetings, hi Aunt Mary, it was her house, and I ran ahead of my great Aunt Lily and sat in her seat at the fireplace. Now, my great Aunt Lily at the time was 80 years old, and the moment she walked into that room, seen me at the fireplace, she gave me that look. You know that look? We've all had that look that basically means if you don't get off of my seat, I'm going to introduce you to my friend called the wooden spoon. You know that look? As quick as day, I got up, apologized profusely, and then went and sat on my own seat. Maybe it's been in school and the school bus on the top deck. All the cool kids sit in the back row, and you've gone to try and sit in the back row in school, and then they get on the bus and they relegate you down the front because the seats at the back essentially are the seats of influence, aren't they? They're where the cool kids sit, where you've got the power and the authority, where you run the school gang and get discounted at the tuck shop. You know, it's like all sorts going on in the back row. But those seats represent influence, don't they? And for all of us, there's seats in our lives that represent influence and authority. And for each one of us, there's a seat in our own lives called the seat at the head of the table that represents leadership, represents authority, and represents influence. And I want to suggest today, 12 p.m., that all of us need to fill that seat at the head of the table of our lives. The danger is if we don't fill the seat, then the seat is going to remain vacant or the seat will just be filled by anybody. But each one of us have to intentionally make the decision as we gather around the table of our world to position somebody there who's going to lead us, coach us, mentor us, guide us and pull out everything that God has placed in us. I want to suggest today four things we can all do to help ready ourselves to create this seat. Are you ready, 12 p.m.? The first thing you need to do is lead yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, lead yourself. Luke 5.11 says, as soon as they landed, these are the disciples, they left everything and followed Jesus The truth about leadership really is this. The fundamental thing is you can't lead others unless you're leading yourself. You've got no skin in the game. You've got no proof in the pudding. You've got no integrity. Everything comes down to the ability of us being able to lead ourselves. All the mentoring in the world will have no value or no use if we don't know the art and discipline of first leading ourselves. And the disciples in this moment They left everything and followed Jesus. The first thing they did before they followed Jesus was they led themselves. They left everything. They said no to some stuff. They got their admin in place. They sorted out family affairs. They got some belongings. They led themselves first before they came under the leadership, the anointing, and the guidance of another And for all of us in a world where it's easy not to take responsibility, where it's easy to plausibly deny, where it's easy to not hold yourself to account to things, we all firstly, as followers of Jesus, we have to learn the art of leading ourselves well. 
Proverbs 12, 1 says it like this. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Turn to your neighbor and say, no, don't do that, don't do that. Discipline is painful because it's change and it's correction. Change is challenging, isn't it? Change is uncomfortable. Change is costly. But it's so vital for us that we commit to a journey of loving discipline, correction, getting better and stronger before we receive the leadership of another. Now, this isn't about being perfect. This isn't about getting all your ducks in a row, your life in full working order before you get some leadership of another, but it's holding your spirit to account to be teachable, to be ready to receive, to be ready to apply the correction and the discipline that another would wish to give and guide you. And you develop that spirit by leading yourself first. The second thing you have to do to ready yourself to position someone at the head of your table, is to increase the circle. Turn to your neighbor and say, increase the circle. Increase the circle. Mark 1, 19 and 20 says this. It says, a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. James and John have an existing circle. They've got their father, Zebedee. They work for their dad. And the family business, let's face it, are doing well. How do we know that? Because they've got hired men working for the family business. In other words, they've got subcontractors. So the family business is doing great. They've got the circle with the hired men who are their pals, their mates, their friends. They've got a fully working inner circle. And also Zebedee translated the name means gift of God. So in other words, they were serving the gift of God. It's like, what could possibly go wrong for these guys? They've got it all together. But then Jesus comes knocking to them and asks them in this moment to follow him and increase their circle. The circle they currently had was working and was fine, but it was small. And Jesus says to them, hey, come and follow me. In other words, expand and increase and enlarge the circle because as they followed Jesus, their world became larger. Suddenly there was 11, 10 other disciples around the table with them, a much larger circle than they were all ready a part of. See, they were serving the gift of God, but when the gift from God, Jesus came knocking, asking them for their obedience, they left everything to increase their circle in order to make space for Jesus to take that seat at their table. And for all of us, church, we have to get comfortable with increasing and enlarging the circle. Your world was not created to be you, yourself, and I, or you and your two pals, but God is constantly challenging us to open up the circle of our hearts and our world to make space for others. And in order to create space for someone to come and take that seat at the head of the table, I've got to make space for them. I've got to create margin and an ability for them to come and speak in and challenge my life. Once you've done that, the third thing you have to do is commit to the chase, to commit 
to the chase. Many of you will know this, some of you won't, is that Lysandra and I first met online. The youth in the room said, ooh. The parents said, ooh. We met online. Lysandra lived in Kent. I lived in Chester. And over the, the course of a Saturday, I traveled down to London to meet Lysandra. Got a bus in the middle of the night to go meet her in London after youth on the Friday night. Lysandra then got on a train really early that morning after she had a 12-hour worship set that night. So we both met in London super tired already, right? And we had a great day. You know, we probably were too serious. We put everything on the table, our lives, our hearts, our where we're going, what we want to do. But we weren't wasting each other's time. So we just told each other as it was. And, you know, if this is going to be something, then we're all in, right? This is where we're going. The end of the day, we had a long day, loads going on. I checked my phone for the time and realized that my bus was leaving pretty soon. And instead of, you know, leaving well, I basically looked at Lysandra and said, oh, my bus is here. Give her half a hug and walked away. <laughs> it was like the worst way to end a first date possible. She was left there thinking, does this guy like me? What happened? Mixed messages. And then I got on the bus on the Saturday night, came to church, got about three hours sleep, done a full day. Lysandra's texting at the time, like, why is he not replying to me? I'm in the house of God. You know, it's not my fault. <laughs> Eyes on the Lord first, and then you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Parents are like, amen. And uh, I'm in church, and then I, I reply, and we start chatting. She's like, are you even interested? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, of course I am. We had a great day. This is, you know, great. And she's like, you basically just left me and ran off. And she said these words, some to this extent to me. She says, if you want this, then you've got to commit to the chase. All the women said, amen. Look at that response. Going to take an altar call for hands right now. Who wants to follow the Lord? Basically, I was like, right, okay, I'll commit to the chase. That following week, it was Valentine's Day and sent her flowers and basically put on the card underneath it said, yep, I'm committing to the chase. In this journey of leadership, if I might digress for a moment, we all have to commit to the chase. We've got Simon, Peter, and Andrew. They understood that there needed to be a switch in this narrative from them being chased to them doing the chasing. Because in Matthew, they left everything to then chase down and follow Jesus. Now, when you're a young person and you're in youth, it's like there's a never-ending queue of people wanting to input and invest into your life. You've got the youth pastor, you've got your parents, you've got your family friends, you've got the people at church, you've got your friends at school, you've got your teacher. There's so many people lining up at the door to input and invest into your life. But as you get older, natural byproduct of life, the queue gets smaller and shorter. People assume now that you're older, you're okay, you, you're wise, you've got it all together. People now don't feel qualified to speak into your life anymore because you've mastered the art of making it look like you've got it all together. And eventually, the queue ceases to exist at all. And there comes a point for all of us where we have to make the conscious decision to flip the switch and no longer wait for someone to chase us, but to be the one that starts to do the chasing, not waiting anymore for a shoulder tap, but to go and tap on the shoulder of another. 
Whose leadership, investment, knowledge, growth are you chasing down and pursuing today? People say all the time, no one's leading me. No one's investing in me. No one's pouring into my life. But often, it's a case of you waiting for them to offer and them waiting for you to ask. Don't sit back and assume today, church. Pinpoint someone shoulder tap and invite them in and allow yourself to chase their leadership and their investment and their knowledge in your life. Regardless of whatever age or stage you are on this journey called life, we all need someone to take that seat at the head of our table. The last point, everybody say last point, is this, go deeper. Turn to your neighbor and say, go deeper. Go deeper. Bible says this in Matthew 9 and 10. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew, this is the key bit, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Matthew, in this moment, understands the power and the potential of inviting somebody to come and go behind the scenes in his world. Matthew's at home right now, and he's having a party. And his party are with the tax collectors, the disreputable sinners, the men and women of the day who've got a bad reputation. But in this moment, he invites Jesus in to come and take a look behind the scenes. And the thing with leadership this and having somebody at that seat is leaders will rarely go beyond where you've invited them into. And Matthew in this moment decides, hey, I'm gonna go deeper. I don't want a superficial leader in my life. I don't want someone that's not gonna tell me as it is. I don't want someone that's gonna think my world looks like one way, but in reality, it's another. And he opens up the door. And what I love is they're having food together. They're having dinner. And some of the most significant conversations in your life have happened and will happen over dinner or shortly after. Because you're inviting somebody around the table, you're opening up your home, your heart, and your world. And in this moment, Matthew says, come deeper. Let me show you what it really looks like so you can lead me. I'll show you the warts and all, the whole picture. And Jesus steps into this environment and suddenly has full access to pour into and coach Matthew. We all need a coach. Isn't it interesting that professionals have coaches, but amateurs don't? Some of us think that we're too far beyond needing a coach, or perhaps we feel like we've got it together and there's not much room to grow. I wanna challenge you with this. If Michael Phelps can see the purpose of having coaches to help him claw back not point not not one of a second when he swims i want to suggest in our pursuit after god and our walk with jesus we all need those leaders at the head of the table to pull out the not point not not one seconds to sharpen the edges to cut off the corners to create margin to help us be holistic and healthy Matthew invites Jesus, he says, come deeper. 
come deeper with me. But often there's three things that hold us back from inviting those people in. The first thing that holds us back is pride. I want to suggest kill it. Where you've got pride, kill it. Hebrews says it like this. Chapter 12, verse 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's a reality, but it's painful. Ouch. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you feel an element of pride today, I don't need a leader. I don't need a, someone speaking into my life. Kill the pride. It's not an age thing. It's a spirit thing. Someone you recognize that can help you grow. Sees things from a different perspective. We preached on that last week, didn't we? Perspective. Having a someone at the head of the table who can bring you and lead you on spiritually, regardless of age, all of us need that someone. And the second barrier we need to overcome is this, is time. I want to suggest make space. Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. There's a direct connection between true desire and value. In other words, treasure. When something is that important to you, you will make space, margin, time for it. Let's face it, guys, we're all busy. We've all got jam-packed lives, loads on. But don't let the time thing be an excuse. Rather, look at your life and go, where can I create margin for a head at my table? Might be a phone call once every two weeks. Where can you create margin for that? Might be a once a month coffee, dinner. Where can you create margin for that? And the third thing that holds us back, we need to overcome is the who. Is the who. I wanna suggest identify. It's easy, we've got a incredible church full of wisdom, full of wealth, full of strength from all sorts of different areas and expertise of society. Not just in this service, but a 10 a.m. service too. We at the minute in Chester have 520 people that call church home. Now that's just not the backlog of a database that's not kept up and cleaned. We did all that many times and we do. They are people that say, this is my home. I want to suggest out of the 520 people in this house, somebody can take that seat at the head of your table. Look around the room, look around the lounge. Identify someone whose spirit you resonate with. Maybe you don't know them yet. Get to know somebody and ask them, hey, can you take that seat and explain what it looks like? I'd love a phone call once a month to chat through this. I'm starting a business. I'd love a coffee once every about this. Make it really clear, really plain. And I reckon on the other side of this, we could have a strong, dynamic, healthy church where we both vertically up and down are leading one another just as Jesus led his disciples. You've something to offer someone today. Don't count yourself out because you've been a Christian for a year. Don't count yourself out because you think you're too far on and too distant. All of us today have a place and a space to play that role and also to create margin for someone to play that role for us. But really, church, this makes no sense at all 
if we don't have Jesus at the head of our table already. All it is, is a TED talk. All it is, is coaching. All it is, is nice advice. Good things. But unless we have Jesus at the head of our table, we won't have the Word of God, the person of God, the truth of God. In fact, all we'll be doing is gleaning earthly and worldly wisdom that sounds good, but rejecting what the Bible says of who we should be and where we should go. I want to suggest today for all of us, we've got to come back around the table, the table of our lives and our hearts, and ask the question, is Jesus still at the head of my table? Because when he is, this is what you live by. When he is, his principles, parables, teachings, and edicts become the guide for your life. When he is, it doesn't matter what the world says, the worldly wisdom that's around, your go-to is the word of God, and you operate your life and who you are as an overflow of who he is. We're gonna do that today by taking communion together. This whole series is anchored in this incredible table moment where Jesus says to his disciples, he invites them into relationship first before he sends them out to task. And we as God's people have gotta come around the table again to position our lives with him in relationship before we get sent out to task. We can get so focused on the task at hand, we miss the person we're called to do it with. And I want all of us today to create this moment of saying, Jesus, I put you back at the head of the seat of the table of my life. If you're brand new to church, you've never done communion before, there's nothing spiritual, spooky, supernatural about it. It's bread and it's juice. Jesus did this as a way of saying to the disciples, remember the sacrifice that I paid for you. His body, the bread, represents his body broken for us on the cross. The juice, as we drink it, we remember the blood that was shared for us because through his sacrifice and his resurrection on the cross, we have life in God. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.